Welcome back. Happy late September. It's the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition. We have got a loaded show. We're going to break down winners and losers of SEC scheduling. We've got assistant coaches and superlatives that Tara's got. We're going to draft Mary Nutter games because that schedule is hitting the presses as we speak. I'm Gray Robertson. That is Tara Henry. Tara, happy fall. How are you? Happy fall. I mean, I can't believe it's already fall ball. Uh, teams are back in action. We've got everybody back on the field, mostly everybody other than, you know, a few teams here on the West Coast. But um, so happy to have you back, Gray. It's been a little bit. I know you've been on some other duties here as of late, but excited to uh, get back into it and talk some softball. Yeah, there are some other sports that go on throughout the year that I have to cover, but I'm always excited to be back on the softball beat with you, my dear friend. And I know you're excited to be back on land talking softball with me. So we're just back in our comfortable position, including starting off the show with the leadoff. And let's lead off with the Southeastern Conference and the conference schedules that hit last week, uh, which actually <laughs> that is even longer than I thought it was. Uh, Tara, we saw some big matchups drop. I've got a list of winners and losers. I think there are a couple squads that can really benefit from, from the slates that they got. And by the way, everybody, this is the final year that we will be able to predict the conference slate because they had this thing called a rotation where we knew that this year's conference schedule will be the same as 2021 and 2018. Uh, next year, that'll change with the addition of Oklahoma and Texas. So we'll have to wait a few years to figure out who's actually going to play who, uh, or I should say whom, each and every year. But Tara, what was your initial thought when you saw the SEC release the conference slate for this upcoming spring? You know, Gray, you and I kind of talked about it a little bit via text message. And the only one I really posted was Tennessee's schedule because – I do think the Vols, you know, the reigning SEC champs are going to have a really tough slate this season. And when you take a look at Tennessee, uh, at South Carolina, at Auburn, and Georgia, all in a row, I know you and Gray and I, we talked about this. Uh, that's going to be tough uh, for the Vols uh, and to see if they can go back to back with an SEC title uh, and obviously without uh, and Ashley Rogers in the circle, but uh, any team that has Kiki Malloy, you know, I'm a huge Kiki Malloy uh, fan uh, is going to do well, but that was my initial gut reaction. Um, and I know gray that you spend a lot of time in the weeds, uh, especially with the stats too, uh, in terms of the sec, but what was your first reaction in terms of the schedule? Well, first off, fair warning. I've already started power ranking everybody. <laughs> I've got my roster sheets and we've, we've gone through, I've got, now that rosters are updated, I can fully start getting prepared for the season because, yes, it's months away, but also, Tara, it's months away. We have to be ready now. Uh, the thing that jumped off the page is the thing that I've I've waxed poetic about on seven different platforms, Twitter, like everywhere. South Carolina is the biggest winner here by far. Let's look at the schedule. They've got at home. Tennessee, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and Missouri. So two of the teams that I have power ranked of a top five, Tennessee and Arkansas, are going to Columbia. Mm -hmm. Road series, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Florida, Kentucky. Those are all, according to the metrics that I have, bottom half of the league power ranked squads. I think Florida and A&M could maybe get up there, but 
still, uh, for road trips, those are winnable. And South Carolina misses Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Auburn. Those are all top-half power-ranked teams for me. This slate is as manageable as it gets in a conference as tough as the SEC. And then you've got a, a South Carolina squad in general who's already improving. They've added Vauder, which we've waxed poetic about many times on this program. And I, I just think that this is lining up for South Carolina to make a run to win the conference, maybe, to win. I, I think that the schedule is half the battle, and they have won that battle. Are you are you calling it out right now, Gray, no. in September that South Carolina is going to win the SEC? No, I, I, <laughs> because I, I fell into that trap one time previously, and it did not go well uh, when I hyped up South Carolina. So, no, I'm not going to call my shot. But, I mean, you know— in the SEC, you don't play everybody. So it really is all about the draw that you get. And I just think the stars are kind of aligning for South Carolina to almost assuredly finish top five in the league unless something goes horribly wrong. You know, I agree with you, Gray. And again, the addition uh, of Vauder, I think that's obviously going to help. She, you know, slots right into to where Donnie Goborn uh, kind of left her, her mark there uh, with the Gamecocks. But uh, again, and we could talk about the Crimson Tide uh, and what they're going to see this season without Montana Fouts, but arguably uh, a rotation that more is going to be more pitched by committee. And Gray, I know you do a significant amount uh, in regards to the Crimson Tide, but excited to see Kayla Beaver and what she adds to that staff as well. Yeah, I've loved what I've heard already from the staff about Kayla Beaver and Ailey Johnson and Jocelyn Brisky pitched really well on the trip in Italy. Uh, and then I think, you know, we've seen at least anecdotally, uh, Jenna Johnson really step up. She hit it really well all over the park in Italy, which is something that she struggled with a little bit, being able to go opposite field as much as she does pull side. Uh, I think that this is an Alabama squad that has the talent to surprise people. There's a lot of 2019 vibes around the program. You know, that year, Alabama was picked eighth in the SEC preseason poll, won the league by four games. The biggest issue for Alabama, kind of going back to the schedule rotation thing we were just talking about, this is a hard slate. You know, road trips to Georgia, Arkansas, and Auburn. I think those are all top half teams. And then a road trip to Kentucky. I'm not sure how good Kentucky's going to be, but weird things always happen in Lexington. That is a very difficult place to win. And then you've also got a home series with Tennessee near the latter part of the conference slate. So as good as Alabama might be, the conference schedule might stop them from being able to accomplish some of the things that they did in 2019. I'm not saying they have no shot to win the conference, but of all the contenders, Alabama probably has the hardest schedule and it might be by far. You know, uh, I agree with you somewhat, Gray. And I think, um, in terms of scheduling and, and you've seen it time, you know, year in and year out, it is important uh, who you play throughout the year. And, and I just want to take a look at Georgia. Do you have their actual slate uh, in front of you, Gray, uh, Georgia and who they're going to see at home and away? Yes. So they have the bye week to open conference play and their first home series is Alabama. So that's quite an interesting jumping off point. <laughs> As someone who will be there working, I'm very excited to go see Athens, one of my favorite SEC cities. And then at Ole Miss, Arkansas at home, and then you've got at Tennessee and at Kentucky. So it's an interesting, maybe tricky little slate. Obviously, Arkansas and Tennessee are going to be tough. I've already talked about 
uh, how difficult it is to play in Lexington. Ole Miss, you never really know. Where is Ole Miss even going to be playing this year? Will their stadium be done? Who's mm-hmm. to say? And then uh, after that Kentucky trip, Missouri at home, Florida at home, and at Mississippi State. So I look at that schedule, Tara, and I see one that is really front-loaded, where if the Bulldogs can get off to a good start, yep. they could maybe cruise to the SEC title. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I always choose Georgia. I don't know why. Maybe I, I, there's a little bit of bias there. But I do think uh, there's a potential for the Bulldogs. Like you said, I think if they can get it done in those first couple series there, that towards the end of that slate, they have the possibility to pay, make a run in it. But again, like I, I think it's going to be as close as it ever is. And then just imagine adding in Texas uh, and Oklahoma. I, I just taking a look at this schedule, it, it's out of control. Any final thoughts, Gray, uh, on the SEC schedule? Well, can we talk about Florida for a minute? You know, Florida is a team that I think we're going to speak often about throughout the season because, let's be real, this is probably a team that we've had the most questions about, maybe in the Tim Walton era. And the schedule is, I had it under the mixed category. There are some good things and some bad things. Good things, you get LSU and South Carolina at home. They've also got Kentucky and AM at home. Bad things, a road trip to Alabama, we would think is a bad thing. However, Florida has actually had more success against Alabama in Tuscaloosa than they have in Gainesville, if you look at the overall series record, which is interesting. And then also a road trip to Georgia. They don't play Tennessee, so they miss a couple of the contenders. They don't play Arkansas. They have to go to Mississippi State and to Missouri, who are probably bottom half teams, but it's always tough to win on the road in the SEC. So I really don't know what we're going to get from Florida this year based on the roster and based on the schedule that I'm looking at. And then we haven't even talked about LSU and the Tigers. Uh, They will get the Tigers at home. Uh, So I think, uh, again, another tough schedule. They end with Texas A&M. And I don't know about what we're going to see from the Aggies. I think that's a completely, well, not I think, I know it's a completely reloaded squad. Trisha Ford, I know she went to that transfer portal uh, and has added a significant amount to that team. But again, another tough slate for for, uh, the Gators. But you'd argue that, Tim Walton, maybe that he's hiding some of these freshman arms that we we're going to see here uh, are going to step up and, and be huge contributors this season. That's what I'm most interested to see is how, how that pitching staff uh, shows up. And if those young arms uh, can get it done for the Gators. Now, that's obviously the biggest question. I mean, he, he can hide them now, but he can't during the season because that's pretty much all they have. It's a bunch of freshman pitchers. And then a couple people who transferred in uh, Florida. I mean, I really, they're going to be, I think, the toughest team to, to rank when we do our preseason top 25. And obviously, we're a long way from that. Things can change. There will be another transfer portal situation once we get to, I believe, late November, early December when that opens up again and there's a possibility for movement. So you never really know. There are a few changes that could be on the horizon for all of these teams in the SEC. But Florida is going to be maybe the most difficult team to handicap because we know what they are with Skylar Wallace at her best. She is probably the best player in this conference, top to bottom. It's either her or Kiki Malloy. And beyond that, I really, I'm not sure how confident I am in the rest of that roster until we see something. Yes. And I know we talk about this and I swear we talk about it every year uh, when the Gators are, aren't playing well as they did not in, in the Mary Nutter, but then somehow figure out how to get it, get into regionals and we'll start making runs. And that's because you've got 
you know, Tim Walton there uh, at the helm and say what you want, his ability to develop talent uh, and his ability to get his teams ready towards the postseason. Uh, he's done it time and time again. But again, another big question mark uh, for the Gators. And I'm like, excited to see if those freshmen step up uh, and can get it done. And me too. And, and, you know, when I do my breakdowns, I chart returning stats. First time ever, I have had a team that had 0% of innings pitch returning, the Florida Gators. So again, just <laughs> something something else to watch. And real quick, I wanted to mention LSU's conference schedule before we move on. The ending is brutal. I mean, the last four series are at Florida. Still a tough place to play, even though I don't know what Florida's going to be. Auburn at home, at Tennessee, and Arkansas at home. So LSU... We'll see that they they need to position themselves well in the first half before what what might be a pretty daunting second half. Again, I think we we don't know what we're going to get from the Tigers uh, either, uh, and I think that's you know another big issue. But going back to Florida, I know I just want to talk about those freshmen, Ava Brown uh, and Keegan Rothrock, our two arms right handers, uh, and then Olivia Miller, their left hander, uh, heading in to the Gators. I want to make sure we mention those freshmen because those are the three to keep an eye on. Yeah. And they also added Virginia transfer Mackenzie Wooten, who got a little bit of action with the Wahoos, but we'll see what her role is with the Gators. Okay, Tara, uh, typically with the cleanup hitter, we would have a face pop on, but not today. Instead, (laughs) we're going to let your wonderful face give us some (laughs) assistant coach superlatives. It's time for the cleanup hitter. My delightful partner, Tara Henry, has come up with some awards to give out to some of the assistant coaching hires and movements that occurred in the offseason. Tara, kick us off, and I will be reading and reacting as we go. All right. Well, I know you're going to love the first one because as I was going through the assistant uh, coaching changes and movement, there was just a lot of movement uh, in this offseason season. I, maybe we say that every year, but this year felt like there were some huge moves. Uh not only huge moves, and then we had a, a couple that have re-entered uh, the softball world uh, as coaches. And I'll start off with that. So I think our first assistant coach uh, superlative goes to Star Power Award. So I know you're going to love this one, Graham, and I'm starting with it because I, I think it was the biggest news uh, of the offseason, and that's Caleb Bro coming back uh, to coach the Alabama Crimson Tide. And when you talk about star power, uh, you talk about Kayla Bro, national champion. She's been an analyst on ESPN for the past decade. Uh, she just loves the game. I love she, the way she talks about the game. I love, love the way she thinks about the game. Uh, and I think she's going to bring a little bit of an edge uh, to that team because anybody that knows Bro uh, knows that she's got some fire. So in terms of star power, I'm going with Caleb Bro uh, and an, and I'll slip in another one, uh, Francesca Nea heading to Florida. So those are two big time names, Francesca Nea. Nea, obviously, same kind of deal as Caleb Bro was uh, off and uh, a commentator for almost a decade as well. Uh, she's coming back to to lead the Florida Gators. But great, I'll get your thoughts on Star Star Power. Am I missing anybody? Well, first off, let me react to uh, Caleb Bro joining the Alabama Crimson Tide, uh, bias alert. Uh, I cover Alabama, so I was excited <laughs> about it. But also, and, T- and Tara, you can attest to this, uh, I would consider Caleb Burrow a good friend. And we've had her on this podcast. I've known her for years. And as soon as I heard the rumblings of this happening, 
it was very hard for me not to text her and ask her about it because I was just so excited. And I've also had the opportunity and the pleasure of working with Kayla during the World Games. And so I've seen how hard she prepares. And that was for international softball where we really don't have film to to watch outside of Team USA. You know, it's very hard to find a Chinese Taipei film ahead of those matchups. So I, I saw how hard she prepped. I saw how hard she works. I've had the conversations with her over the phone, over text, in hotel lobbies about the game. Uh, I know how much she cares about the program. I know how much she knows about softball. Every time I'm with her, I feel like I learned something. So I am so excited to watch her try and put her stamp on the Alabama softball program. And it's going to be bizarre, but I can't wait to see her in the first base coaching box. So strange that Allison Habits won't be there. And a tip of the cap to Allie for a phenomenal 25 years with the Crimson Tide. And then for Francesca and Aya, same deal. I mean, I've seen how hard Fran preps. I, I know how much she loves the Florida program, again, from talking with her in person and over Zooms and, and on the phone. And I, I am so excited to see her be able to bring a lot of passion uh, to the Florida program and to kind of add the alumni piece. They've had Amanda Lorenz there in the past as a staff member. But for the most part, it, it's kind of been, quote, unquote, outsiders, uh, the last few years with Tim Walton. So to have a Florida Gator on staff, I'm interested to see how that changes up the dynamic there. And then as to what's missing, is DJ Gasso, are we not Are we not counting that as star power? <laughs> yeah, I've got him in another category, but okay. you can get star power. So he could be in two. Go ahead, okay. DJ Gasso. Yeah. Well, I just, I thought it was the biggest move, you know, and, and every softball fan, uh, you know, depending on the knowledge, everyone wants a Gasso. At their school, I feel like every time I see a Facebook comment for any team, it's hire Gasso, hire Gasso. And Arkansas did that. Uh, there were a couple of circumstances that helped lead to that happening. Uh, and Courtney Dyfel is certainly the beneficiary of that. But I thought it was by far the biggest move of the offseason. Yeah, so that would be in the next category. Biggest, biggest move or biggest surprise, because I was surprised that he went. Uh, and then for him to go to Arkansas, uh, I do think DJ Gasso was a big pickup uh, for Courtney Dyfel and the Razorbacks. So, yes, DJ Gasso, again, heading to the SEC uh, just before his mom and brother head on over there, too. So um, did a great job at Utah. And I know Amy Hogue, she spoke so highly of him and his work ethic and what he was able to do with that offense. And and I think it'll be a great challenge for uh, DJ uh, heading to Arkansas. So those are two of them. Next one is sleeper picks. Like I think this, these two, I'm, I'm going to add two because they went to the same school kind of sleeper picks and I'm going with Arizona. I think the addition of Christian Conrad uh, and Josh Bloomer from South Carolina are huge for Caitlin Lowe and that staff. Uh, Conrad at LMU, uh, coach Jenna Perez. She was the West coast play of the year uh, back to back uh, that, that pitching staff at a sub three uh, ERA and then Bloomer, if you take a look at Bloomer and his resume, what he did at South Carolina in just a season, uh, they were third in the SEC in doubles. Uh, and then the previous year they were 12th uh, in doubles and then three seasons that do with an ACC tournament championship. Uh, I think that's a sneaky sleeper kind of pick that we're not really talking a lot about, but it's going to really help the Arizona Wildcats. Yeah, when we were first discussing and you gave me the categories, the first name I wrote down was Josh Bloomer. I, I love this move for Arizona. 
even though, frankly, offense wasn't the issue last year. But uh, South Carolina's improvements were obvious, I I think. You know, the doubles, yes. Uh, Some of the other stats, maybe not as high as people probably wanted them to be. But I just saw South Carolina look much more confident in their at-bats. And we talked about that on our TV broadcasts when South Carolina and Alabama were playing. They just, they looked like they had a plan. And I said that even in a game where Montana Fouts no hit them. Like, it wasn't like they were awful at-bats. Montana Fouts was just that good that day. Uh, But I I think that's a huge loss for South Carolina and a gigantic gain for Arizona. I've been really impressed by Josh Bloomer and I'm excited to see what he can do in a place where the ball truly flies, as we always say. Oh, and again, I I think it's a sleeper pick and I love that, you know, Bloomer was the first one that you wrote down because I just, I think with all these various coaching hires, I don't think we're talking enough about what Caitlin Lowe went out and did uh, in the off season and, and grabbing those two. So any other sleeper picks you got gray? Not yet. I'll, I'll let you keep going and then we'll, we'll see if any of the ones I have written down are in other categories. Uh, all right. So I'm going to do the next one is impact tires. So I know these all can be impact tires, but uh, where I think they're going to have the greatest impact from, from where they were to where they're going uh, as I'm taking Nadia Taylor uh, heading to Houston. And I think, her along with Hope Tropline, uh, they're going to do a nice job getting Houston uh, back on track. So I do believe that Nadia Taylor, obviously she's at Michigan State uh, for a year, but also playing at Athletes Unlimited, got loads of experience alongside Hope Trotwine, who played in the WPF. I think there's a different level when players can be you know, coached by players that are still playing and they're in it and they can have these conversations about, hey, how would you approach this at batter? How would you approach this hitter? And I think that's really cool. And I'm excited to see what those two do at Houston. Gray, your thoughts? I think that's a great, great addition to this list because not only are they heading to Houston, but so are 95 transfers. This is a (laughs) revamped Houston roster. It is. And they're adding people like Mandy Essman and Lair Boutte. There's a lot, there's an influx of new blood in this program. And I think that that's really exciting. I really like Nadia Taylor and I've enjoyed following her career, especially through athletes unlimited. And I think that's a fascinating I don't even want to call it an experiment, but a fascinating little collection of people. And we'll see how it all shakes out because Washington, or Washington, excuse me, Houston will be playing in the Big 12. And it'll be a Big 12 that is loaded with people. OU and Texas are still there. You've got the new additions coming in. And then, of course, we're not that far away from Arizona and Arizona State jumping in. So, where will Houston's place be in the new Big 12? We could get an early glimpse in 2024. Yeah, and that's so exciting to me, Gray. And I think, like you said, with uh, loads of transfers, which it's up on the site, head over to D1Sample.com, our own Brady Vernon. We ranked the top 15 transfer classes uh, of 2024. So head on over and you can check that out. But we've got all the information on Houston and what uh, – Coach Fesley did uh, in adding those transfers. And it is exciting. It's exciting to see. And we haven't even really got into conference shifts or, or realignments, but uh, we're slowly going there. Uh, we're just kind of trickling in uh, as we have a chat. But yes, those are my impact. Anybody else, Gray? I mean, that's a pretty broad category, but the, that's what I think they're going to have a huge impact. I'll throw in one. Uh, Bryce Neal from, from Louisville to LSU. And I, is he in another category for you? Because I Okay, I really like what he did I like with Louisville. Yeah. 
Yeah, and LSU has been uh, – we talked about the schedule a little bit earlier. This has been a team that has been a, a, a true enigma the last few years. I don't understand why they aren't better, uh, and that's just me being blunt. You know, last year in my SEC preseason poll, I had them down at eighth, and I said, prove me wrong, and I think they came in sixth. Didn't really count. Uh, I wanted them to be higher. I think that they should be much better than they are each and every year. And maybe the addition of Bryce Neal to kind of get a new voice in the coaching staff on the offensive side, maybe that is something that kind of makes this squad more well-rounded because the roster talent is absolutely there. This LSU senior class, as I pull out my sheet for the Tigers, is as loaded as any. You've got Hannah Carson, who's going to be back, after redshirting and injuring last or being injured and in, I think the opener last year. Taylor Pleasant, Sierra Briggs, Danica Coffey, Allie Newland. I mean, this is a loaded roster. I don't know why they aren't hosting a super every year. And maybe the addition of Bryce Neal can be something that gets them back to that point. Yeah, and Sydney Burzon, obviously just a season ago, doing a fantastic job for the Tigers. I think she's only going to get better uh, under Beth. And I was able to see Beth in the offseason uh, in Colorado. And they're just like hitting the ground running. And like you said, I think the addition of, of Bryce Neal is going to be big for that that squad. And congratulations to Lindsay Leftwich, who obviously got the, the job at NC State. She's a longtime Tiger. And um, again, she'll be heading to North Carolina State. But um yeah, I agree with you, Gray. I like that pick. I'm, I'm glad that you added that in because I think it's going to be something that we'll keep an eye on this season and see how big of an impact Bryce Neal does have uh, with the Tigers. And more on so, the NC State staff later, by the way. I have a nugget, but keep going, Tara. <laughs> okay, I'm going to put that at the end. Don't let me forget. Oh, you're not going to let me forget. All right, so um, the next one is like a full alumni reunion. Not full, but pretty much alumni reunion for uh, – staffs and i've got two uh and this includes a head coach we've got morgan zirkle and ali harrell uh at marshall uh they're joined by uh sid mckinney uh, and allison rager but also washington uh victoria hayward going back to washington along with courtney gayno and heather tar uh Sis Bates, obviously, up there as well. But those two staffs, it is a little bit of alumni reunion. Uh, and both Marshall and Washington are having some alumni uh, rejoin uh, the programs. I loved the Morgan Zirkle hire. You know, at, when this broke, I was around a bunch of members of the Thundering Herd at the Music City Collegiate League. Grace Chelleman, who just graduated and is going to be a GA at Southern Miss. We immediately chatted about it. Uh, Cameron Mahalas, who's still on the roster, was up there and we chatted about it. And they were so excited. And I think that when you're able to generate that kind of excitement after you lose a coach that that was so beloved, I, I feel like uh, by the team, um, that's huge. And you add the alumni piece. Marshall is such a unique place. It's such a cool sports town. They all love Marshall so, so much. And I think when you add that on the coaching side, uh, it really helps elevate the program. And then somebody like Allie Harrell, who's who's such a sweetheart and so talented and knows how to communicate with people. I loved seeing her uh, last year when Alabama went up to Huntington. I, we got to chat for a bit. And I just think that that staff is going to be able to relate to the players in a way that maybe no other staff in America will be able to because they're still playing and they've been through it at Marshall and they're not that much older than the players themselves. So they understand what 
the trials and tribulations of a college softball season are like. So I, I think that Marshall uh, did a great job bringing in Morgan Zirkle and then the hires that she has made uh, have been knocked out of the park. And then obviously Washington with Victoria Hayward moving from San Diego state doing an incredible job uh, with the Aztecs just a season ago, making it to the super regionals at Utah it was a close one. I thought the Aztecs might, were maybe going to pull that one out there uh, up in Provo, but again, heading back to Washington alongside Courtney Gano, uh, I think that's going to be fun uh, for that staff, for them to all be reunited. Heather Tarr, it's funny. I can't believe it's been her 20th season there uh, at Washington. She just, you know, posted a photo about, you know, her 20th, her season there with the Washington Huskies. So you'd argue that it might be a little bit of a changing of the guard starting there uh, in that training the the new uh, young, young coaches, uh, training them up to get them uh, ready uh, to take over that program. Yeah. And not to give our dear friend Brady Vernon more to do, but just add it to the list of alums going back home this offseason. You know, we, we talked about the number of moves with the addition of the extra paid position. There were naturally going to be more hires, but I mean, so many of them are not just alums going back, but high profile alums going back. Victoria Hayward has been such a staple for Team Canada and an Athletes Unlimited for so many years. And I feel like to get her back at Washington is a gigantic grab for Heather Tarr. Interested to see how it works out because, again, talking about changing of the guards, Washington will be a Big Ten team very soon. So that that whole recruiting issue out west is going to be something that they have to figure out. And I wonder if the addition of two alums is something that Heather Tarr recognized about moving to the Big Ten and saying, hey, it's not about playing out west. It's about playing for Washington. And here are these alums that are going to recruit you to play at Washington. That might be something to watch out for in the coming years. 100%. So that's our alumni reunion category for, uh, we got assistants and, and head coaches in that one. Uh, next one is outside the box hire, which I know you love the name of this category. It's really similar to uh, another podcast that we, we know and love, but an outside the box hire. And I'm going with Ole Miss. I'm going with Jamie Traxel and her hiring of Carl Golan and Daniel Nicholson. Golan was, pitcher with the Black Sox, New Zealand national team uh, with over, you know, three decades of experience in the sport of men's fast pitch comes over from uh, playing just or coaching one season, uh, but played uh, loads of softball and really well respected on the international level. Uh, and then Nicholson with the St. Louis Cardinals coming over just four years prior working in major league baseball. So again, I, I think when Riker Chasen and Katie Rykovich Browder left that program, everyone was thinking, Oh my gosh, what is Jamie going to do uh, at Ole Miss? And I would, I would think that these two out of the box hires are going to be interesting to watch heading into SEC play. I think that's, that's a good option. Uh, there, there's one that we haven't talked about that, I feel could be in this vein and I could make the argument. I could use the term risky. Uh, and I, I would say Carrie Eberle at Oklahoma state. Uh, this is a lot to put on somebody who just came out of college to be the pitching coach at Oklahoma state. Doesn't have a ton of coaching experience. Did some work at Lipscomb, uh, was a grad assistant at Oklahoma state for a year. And that's kind of it. And so, uh, not saying that she can't do it. I'm just saying that there there are questions that still linger 
in regards to that move. And you're also going to be dealing with a pitching staff that doesn't have Kelly Maxwell anymore. So we're going to see, I think, a lot of Kerry Everly's coaching come out because of how young that staff will be. Uh, and, and frankly, a little untested, how untested that staff will be. So it was a fascinating move by Kenny Gajewski. Uh, She's one of those people that is still playing, and I think that the relation to the pitchers will certainly help. But it's a big spot for somebody in really their second full year of coaching. It's a huge spot. And I think that's a tough place to start, uh, at, you know, as a young coach, a lot of pressure there again, obviously, uh, in dealing with that rivalry rivalry with Oklahoma. And you'd argue that the cowgirls were, were really close to really giving OU a run for their money. Uh, and then obviously the loss of Kelly Maxwell, yes, big shoes to fill, uh, and John Bartfeld and, and his exit there, uh, at, uh, Oklahoma State, but I agree with you. Uh, I think it's one to keep an eye on, Gray, and out of the box hire. I I, I agree. I, I love that you chose Carrie Everly for that. Two two very different veins, but I think uh, it works for both. Um, so yes, that's our out of the box hires. And last one, um, All American staff. Uh, I I think you take a look at Oregon, and uh, I'm looking at. You know, Sidney Romero, uh, Alyssa Palmino Cordoza, Sam Martyr, and, and Alyssa Lombardi. Uh, I like that that staff up there in Oregon. Excited to see uh, what Sydney adds, uh, Sydney Romero adds to that staff up there uh, in Eugene. Yeah, Sydney Romero is the one to circle, right? You know, a lot of people loved what she did at Duke. Obviously, a great playing career at Oklahoma. Uh, she's had the, the Power Five experience, and now she's going out west to an Oregon squad that is interesting. I feel like to say the least next year, they're going to be one of those teams that I feel like nobody's talking about uh, out in the Pac-12 because it's the final year of the Pac-12. Everybody's going to be focused on the powers, Arizona, UCLA, Washington, Oregon could be a team that lingers and and maybe surprises a few people. So I love that hire. I I like, uh, I, I just, I like what Melissa Lombardi has done the last few years with this Oregon squad. And now it's about finding a way to take the next step and to, fully cement yourself as one of the front runners, uh, maybe to get back to OKC, you know, before you go to the big 10. <laughs> oh, I know. It's so funny that you were saying that, but uh, exactly. And I, and I think, you know, Melissa and Lardy has done a great job and they're right there. You know, Oregon is so close and, and, and are right on the cusp of getting back to uh, Oklahoma city and maybe Sydney uh, Romero is just the, you know, the answer to that. So again, another one to take a look at. So that's all my assistant coaches, uh, superlatives for y'all. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of fun. I had a good time. There are, there are a couple that I want to make sure that we mention as well that I thought might come up. Uh, Danielle O'Toole to Cal love the move. Cal's pitching staff last year, a, a bit of a dip in production. So bringing in some new ideas, bringing in somebody who's had success, bringing in somebody who did a really good job at Fullerton. Uh, I, I think, makes a lot of sense for, for Chelsea Spencer and the Cal bears. And then Taryn Moat McKinney going to Mississippi state from Arizona. Uh, the thing I love about this is the experience, the world series experience, not just as a player, but as a coach and this Mississippi state squad that is kind of trying to figure out life after Mia and Fa, you know, yeah. Mia led him to supers. Then last year, miss the NCAA tournament. And this year they've got a pretty hard schedule. Uh, in the non-conference that we'll maybe dive into in just a little bit. So Tara McKinney brings some of that 
real experience. And I think she could be very, very beneficial to the Mississippi State coaching staff. And also, a word about NC State, if I may. Uh, I loved the hire. Oh, wait, okay. I'm going to talk about Taryn while you're looking for that. Uh, Taryn Moa, uh, to me, one of the best pitch callers in the game. And so I can't agree with you more. I think the addition uh, for her at Mississippi State, uh, I, I really, really like uh, her going there, and I'm excited to see what she does uh, in a new place, in a new uh, arena, uh, and could not be more excited uh, for Taryn and to see the impact she makes there at Hell State. NC State. NC State. Pitching coach Mike Bosch. We did not talk about the Florida move in this discussion, leaving Florida, uh, parting ways with Tim Walton and the Gators and going to NC State to play for Coach Leftwich. Uh, I'm that would kind of go in the outside the box, maybe a wild card hire. How will it go? I'm not sure, but I'm fascinated to find out. Was it more of a Florida, I guess, pitcher recruiting problem, or was it a coaching problem? Why the Gators weren't able to get an All-American arm the last few years? That's something that we're going to find out this season with the hire uh, of Mike Bosch to NC State and the moves that the Gators made uh, bringing in a North Carolina pitching coach. You know, it's all interestingly cyclical uh yep. <laughs> with Chelsea Dobbins going in yes. and then uh also my dear friend Grayson Radcliffe going to NC State to be an assistant I have seen Grayson work with kids I have seen her as a leader on the Indiana squad as a coach on the Indiana squad as somebody playing professional softball uh that that somebody that a lot of people on her team look towards and I am Really excited to see how that translates to the college game. So tip of the cap to to Grayson Radcliffe and excited to see what she can do at NC State. I think that's a fascinating young squad in an ACC that is getting better and better each and every year. And you don't want to get left behind because of how good the conference is getting year in and year out. It's going to get better when they add Nigeria Kennedy in a few years and Stanford. So I think that the staff has to make moves early if they want to, you know, keep up in that ever-growing competitive conference. And NC State, there's kind of, you know, there's been a, a little bit of a black cloud over that program, and, and you'd hope that uh, the hiring of Lindsay Leftwich and, and this new staff uh, can breathe some new life uh, into uh, NC State. But yes, again, interesting to keep an eye uh, on that young new staff and and, and see how they they fare uh, in the ACC. That was fun. Thank you, Tara. Yeah, thanks. I thought it was fun, too. I had a good time. Are you ready to do some drafting? Let's do some drafting. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, so I have in my hand, ladies and gentlemen, the soon-to-be-released, if it hasn't already been released by the time this pod drops, schedule for the Mary Nutter. It is out. You are looking (laughs) at it, too. Okay? (laughs) This is the magic of podcasting. And what we're going to do is we're going to draft our favorite slate. We're going to draft games from the Mary Nutter. You know, if we had to pick four to put in a basket to watch, what would they be? Now I've got a magic coin that will flip and we'll cover some of the team's individual slates too at the end. But Tara, I will give you the call heads or tails on who has the people show people what the the coin is. It's a uh, commemorative world series coin heads will be the world series logo tails, the NCAA logo. Thank you to unnamed benefactor who gave me this from the World Series last year. Tara, heads or tails? Heads. It is tails. So I will get the first first pick. And my first pick is 
UCLA, Tennessee. Uh, this will be the last day, I believe the last game of yep. the Mary Nutter. And in fact, I'll flash the schedule right now for all the people watching. It's right there at if the teeny tiny bottom, <laughs> bottom left, Tennessee <laughs> without Ashley Rogers, UCLA without Megan Faramo. Uh, we both think, I'm sure, that these will be contenders to win their leagues. And it's going to be a good litmus test for both of these squads. Also, fascinatingly, kind of takes over the UCLA-Oklahoma slot as the marquee matchup on that final day. So that is my number one pick, Tara. If that was on your list, sorry about it. It's okay. Uh, so, Gray, you're going with uh, UCLA-Tennessee, which is the marquee matchup. Uh, I'm going to go with Oklahoma-Mississippi State. Uh, I like, yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Oklahoma's schedule this year, uh, it was either that or Wisconsin, uh, but I'm going with Mississippi State, and uh, that's obviously Ricketts and Gasso, uh, them going head-to-head. -head. That's going to be on Friday at 5.30, 5.30 p.m. Uh, oh, I had another one that day, too, but you're probably going to pick it next. I just didn't want to go two UCLA games in a row. Well, we can go snake draft style, so I'll give you the first pick of round two. Then UCLA, Nebraska. I think Jordy Ball uh, coming in and facing the Bruins. Uh, you know, obviously uh, at the Mary Nutter. Again, no Megan Framo, but Jordy Ball uh, with Nebraska on that new squad facing UCLA Bruins, which had a pretty potent offense uh, just a season ago. I think that's going to be a fun one to to watch. And that's 1230 on Wrigley. Wrigley's got some good games uh, at Wrigley on Friday. Gray? Yeah, that was uh, next on my big board. So thank you for yeah. that. Uh, I, I think that that is the natural pick. And also, if we may, for just a moment, are you okay with no Oklahoma, Nebraska on this schedule? I'm okay with it. I mean, maybe they'll play. Um, maybe they'll play another midweek game, or maybe they won't play at all. Uh, I think it's hard for people. To schedule, I know a lot of people don't like to play against Oklahoma. I would love to play against Oklahoma. Um, I think it's it makes you better either way. But I'm okay with it. I mean, I, I you know, I think scheduling is really, really difficult. And um, it would have been great to see because I'm going to be there. It would have been fun. Can you imagine the amount of people? <laughs> but I, I, if I was one of those head coaches, I would want to have that as a home and away series and eat mm. and you know. Both have, both have a crack at it because you know you're going to sell out your stadium. Like, if you're a head coach, you're going to sell out Mary Nutter. That's one thing. If you're going to sell out your own stadium, uh, that's another. So I would argue that we might see it. I don't know. All right. So I've got – I was using that to uh, to stall, by the way. Yeah, I, I had think a feeling. Of, I just yeah. kept talking. <laughs> Thank you, partner. Uh, my next pick, uh, on Sunday at 9 a.m., Nebraska and Utah, my second mm -hmm. round pick. And why do I love this? Well, it'll be kind of our first, uh, you know, and we'll see what Nebraska's schedule looks like. But this weekend is the first real test for the Huskers with Jordy Ball. This is a Nebraska team that a lot of people are going to be watching all year long. This is a Utah team, but not a lot of people were talking about last year right up until the run at the tail end of the regular season and the run to the Women's College World Series. And all of a sudden they were the big story out West. Then they lost DJ Gasso. How does Utah respond this year? That game on Sunday will be a 
big test for them. And and I think it'll be a good litmus test for where they are. Yeah, My, Nebraska. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Nebraska, Utah, that's a 9 a.m. And then they they turn around and play Cal State Fullerton uh, so in a doubleheader. Sometimes those Sunday games are sneaky good. A lot of those teams, it's getaway day, so they're not sticking around. But that's going to be a really fun um Sunday this year at the Mary Nutter again with UCLA and Tennessee at two o'clock, but those two Nebraska doubleheader uh, or back-to-back games, Nebraska, Utah, and then Nebraska, Cal State Fullerton. So uh, again, if you're planning to go to the Mary Nutter, I would, I would plan on staying through Sunday because that's going to be a, a, a good slate of games. Uh, so that's your pick, Gray. Do you have another that's, one or is it my turn? My, that's my second round pick. My third round pick is Friday on Wrigley. And it is UCLA and Northwestern. Northwestern has got a thousand questions. I'm going to be real. They're losing a gigantic senior class and an impactful senior class with Danielle Williams leaving. Uh, UCLA has some questions too. But the main reason I'm picking this is because we have seen some phenomenal games between these two squads the last few years. Of course, I think about the Clearwater walk-off. That was so great. But how about the one in OKC when Megan Faramo struck out Rachel Lewis with the bases loaded, and then the next inning, Megan Faramo hit a home run right over where I had been standing beyond the fence. Uh, I've loved the history between these two in the last few years, and I just think it'll be a fun game because it always is. I love that you chose this, Gray, because I've tried not to be a, a homer and choosing too many UCLA games, but there are they have a really good slate. But I, I know that you just said the last few years, there's a, a long history between UCLA and Northwestern, which goes back almost decades uh, to uh, decades, yes, two ago when we played, I played, uh, and Northwestern beat UCLA in the Women's College World Series, uh, sent us home. But yes, uh, always fierce uh, games, and it's always at Mary Nutter. So this matchup is always one that is really, really fun to watch, and it's not just the past couple of years. It's it's a tradition. So uh, I'm excited to see that matchup uh, again on Wrigley. If I were if I were a fan, I would get some seats at Wrigley. I'm not sure <laughs> if they're still doing those seats this year. We'll let you know because – um buying you know game seats we thought it was a good idea not not quite sure it worked as well so we'll, we'll let you know if there's any update there from mary nutter uh, and the tournament folks there all right you've got a third and final and then a fourth round and final pick tara all right i'm going with oregon and central that's so funny it's central florida ucf right on saturday at 5 p.m and that's on yankee uh, I'm excited to see Oregon Central Florida. You, it's so funny. It says Central Florida UCF uh, has a really tough schedule. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, again, we talked about Oregon and Melissa Lombardi and what she's done, but we didn't really talk about UCF uh, and what uh, Cindy Ball Malone was able to do in the offseason. Becca Mueller from Cal joins uh, as the hitting coach. She's obviously got Jen Salling there with her, uh, another uh, member of the, Canadian national team and former UW national champion. So, um, and then a load of transfers when you talk about Sona from Cal as well, coming over, uh, I, I think that's going to really, a really fun matchup, Oregon, uh, and UCF. I like that. And, and yeah, UCF has got some tantalizing little yeah. games here this week. What's your, what's your final pick Tara fourth round? Oh, I have a final. Um, the last pick, hold on, let's see if this one's already taken, uh, is, 
Notre Dame, hold on, Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame Baylor, uh, because Ooh. I know Baylor come, is coming out to the Mary Nutter Classic, and there was a few Baylor games I had circled, uh, but that's the Thursday, so it's kind of a kickoff game, 4-30, Notre Dame versus Baylor. Uh, I think that one's going to be interesting uh, to take a look at. And like, again, like a season ago, we watched Baylor and go on that run, obviously beat uh, OU, but you know, what is Glenmore going to have this season? And I'm excited to see uh, that game on Thursday night. Uh, and then Notre Dame plays Mississippi state just right after that. So uh, a tough little slate for, for Notre Dame as well. Gray, if you take a look at their schedule, uh, Baylor, Mississippi state, Oregon, Oregon state and Oklahoma. Like, yeah, that's that's, that's that's a gauntlet. Uh, pass. I'm good. Uh, best of luck to you, Coach Gumpf. Uh, that is hard, uh, and I, I think that's a, a lovely pick. I really like that. Baylor was a team that, I mean, remember I I went on this yeah. podcast and I was uh, frankly upset that they weren't a seed based off of what the committee chose to value, and then they just ignored mm-hmm. it for Baylor. Then Baylor was never really in it in the Salt Lake City Regional. So I don't really know what I'm going to get from the Bears, but man, we know that their highs can be really, really high. Oh, and again, I think this tournament, I, I love the Mary Nutter, and obviously there might be a little bit of nostalgia there. I think the Mary Nutter is a very special tournament, and um, whether people were complaining last year about the weather um, or the big crowds, it's just been, it's really cool to see the growth of the game and what it's been, you know, compared to what it was 20 years ago. And what we see now, we've got almost a sold out crowd with, you know, 6,000 people watching a game. Uh, You know, you can picnic out with your family, you can bring your dog. And uh, I just, I love the Mary Nutter. And I think it's everything that's good and well with softball and you can watch as many games as you want. And it's got that real family travel ball feel. And uh, I do think it's one of the most special tournaments uh, in the country. And Gray, I think you should come out. I mean, maybe, maybe. you should talk Alabama into like coming out to the Mary Nutter one of these years. I, you know, I'll see, I'll see what I can do. Uh, I don't know yeah. how much pull I have, but now I have talk another friend on staff. We'll see. <laughs> My fourth and final pick Oh, you got another pick. Sorry, I was getting all nostalgic. No, I thank you for, again, stalling for me. Yeah, I got uh, I've, you. I've got a couple that that are I'm not going to say. Uh, Oregon okay. State, Tennessee interests me. Uh, Oregon State, I was really hoping that we would see an Oregon State-Mississippi State matchup on this list. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that's not on the slate. I think I'm going to go with Oklahoma-Wisconsin as my fourth pick. And the reason is... A, I don't have an Oklahoma game on this slate, and I will get just just mentioned to death if I don't. Uh, so yeah. I, ha- I have to put a Sooner game on here. But w- what's interesting about Wisconsin is for some reason, they've been tricky for the Sooners over the years, whether it be winning that game in the Norman Regional uh, a few years ago to beating them at the Mary Nutter. I believe that was in the shortened 2020 year, uh, was it not? And it might have been 2021, but... Wisconsin has played Oklahoma tough in recent years. And this is a Wisconsin squad that is feisty and could be potentially facing one of their former teammates in the circle in Peyton Monticelli. So uh, I I just, I think that that could have a little bit of intrigue. Yeah. There could be an extra, a little bit of uh, blood there. You know, I I think there's more skin in the game as, as you call it with uh, their former teammate going to OU. But again, 
Wisconsin, always a scrappy team. Uh, Yvette Healy does a nice job with that squad. She figures out uh, how to get the best out of her players. A lot of homegrown talent uh, year in, year out out of Wisconsin. But I like that you chose that, Gray. It's circled on my list too, but I'd already chosen a couple of OU games. So uh, I figured I'd, I'd let you choose that one if you, you were going to go for it. And you did. Oh, thank you. Yes. You know me so well. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> UCF and their slate. The team that you wanted to spotlight was the Knights. Why? Mississippi State, Oregon, Missouri, Oregon State, Tennessee, and San Diego. Um, I think it's a good mix. Uh, I think University of San Diego uh, obviously is going to probably be their easiest game, but uh, I like that they're playing Mississippi State. I like that they're playing Oregon. Obviously, two SEC teams or three SEC teams and two pack uh, teams. And I think that's going to be really tough and a good test for the Knights and City Ball. She always. She always schedules tough, and I love that she does that because it gets her squad ready, well knowing that once they head into conference play that RPI is going to go down a little bit. But uh, I'm excited to see how they do uh, with this late one, two, three, four, five, six games uh, at the Mary Nutter, which I think that's pretty much the most out of anybody. Oregon State's got six as well, but um, it's a lot of games. Yeah, it is. Uh, The team that I picked is a team that was – maybe the story of February and early March until the air was kind of let out of the balloon near the end. But there was a time when we were talking to the head coach of Cal state Fullerton on this podcast. And it was because of some of the wins that they got in the non-conference and what a chance at the Mary Nutter the first day, Tennessee and Missouri Fullerton Mm -hmm. beat the lady Vols last year in Puerto Vallarta. And they've got Missouri as well on Friday Mississippi State, I think they're gettable. I think that this is a Mississippi State squad that in the early going will be trying to figure out who they are, and that is when they're gettable. Fullerton is going to be playing them at the right time. And then Sunday you've got Seattle, and you close with Nebraska and maybe Jordy Ball. I think that – and we know Nebraska is probably going to have a pretty good RPI this year because when you're top three in a Power 5 conference, you're no lower than 40 in the RPI. So this is a chance for – the Titans to get some gigantic skins up on the wall. And if they can do that, just like they did last year, then we might be having coach Ford back on this pod once again in early March. Oh, I I agree with you. Great. And Kelly Ford uh, picking up Jody Cox, two-way player, uh, former Olympian, as well as uh, Jamie Juarez on that staff to join the Titans. Obviously losing Daniel O'Toole is huge, but those are two big pickups for her. And again, Cal State Fullerton, they're always sneaky good. Uh, Unfortunately, most of the time they end up in UCLA's regional. um, So that doesn't go as well for them. But I do believe that Cal State Fullerton, like you said, Gray, has a great opportunity here at the Mary Nutter to get some solid wins in. Yeah, and they did it last. I mean, they walked off Florida last year. Like this is this is a perfect slate, I think, for them to make some noise. So why not? Is there anything else from the Mary Nutter schedule that, that you want to highlight? I'll flash it up again for the viewers at home. Uh, no, obviously it's up on the website. You can go to d1sample.com. We've got the full schedule up on the site. Uh, and again, just excited to get this thing going. Uh, again, UCF has a, a tough slate. And then Oregon, Central Florida, Baylor, Notre Dame, Long Beach State, and Nebraska. Uh, again, a good mix out, out west uh, in Palm Desert, well, Cathedral City. Uh, it's a fun one, folks. So if you can, I'd get out there. I'll do what I can. I'll look for flights. 
Tara, I, I think it's time to wrap up the show as we always do with what's on D1. All right, besides the release of the Mary Nutter schedule, what else is on the phenomenal website that is d1softball.com? Well, obviously, we've got the Mary Nutter uh, schedule up, but I love the series that Graham Hayes is doing better to know a player of the year. Uh, right now, we've got Big Sky's Emily uh, Johansson on there. Uh, credible article on her uh she is super creative uh incredibly talented not only photographer but artist uh love that article up on the site coaches in new places maryland's lauren kern and we're just about to start our fall reports and i i, I believe we're gonna kick it off with the georgia bulldogs uh, i don't know if that's supposed to be a surprise but i believe the georgia bulldogs and tony baldwin are going to be our first uh fall report up on the site and again we've got we've got you covered uh on your teams throughout the fall giving you an idea of what these coaches are seeing uh with their new squads really fun i love this part uh, of the season because you get to really dive in with some of these head coaches and, and really get an idea of what they're seeing uh, with these new freshmen and their transfers, a lot of impact transfers. And again, head over to the site. We've got all those transfers up. Transfer portal updating it daily. And we've got a, a, a new tab, uh, 2025 commitment. So we're going to start uh, listing those for you all so you know who's heading to your favorite programs uh, next season. But uh, yeah, that's everything up on the site. Head on over, d1sobble.com. Uh, and great podcasts. Uh, as well. So fun stuff, interviews, um, and again, advanced statistics from our friends over at 643 Charts. And hopefully we'll have Natalie uh, Hansen on here maybe this week with a little stat chat, um, and we'll keep you updated on, on, on some new stuff that we're adding. I love that. And if I may, just a little plug for fall reports, a gigantically useful resource for me as I get ready for the season, <laughs> all the conversations that we're all having with coaches, uh, I, I can't wait to start talking with some of them very soon. And, you know, this year, this fall is going to be more of a fact-finding mission, than I think, maybe ever in the sports history because of how prolific the transfer portal is and because everybody had to make a staff addition. Everybody was adding another assistant. So, I mean, coaches are, I think, trying to figure out what their team is and who they're surrounded by maybe more than ever, which will make those fall reports even more necessary. Yeah. And I, I'm excited because that, again, I think you've got some really great little nuggets um, and just a great refresher and reminder of what teams did last year and, and exciting stuff heading into 2024 season, which I can't believe it's going to be October here. Uh, and uh, we're almost, almost months away. Well, we're months away from season. Yeah. We're about a month away from Halloween and then we dive into Thanksgiving it's and then it's Christmas and then, Oh, it's the softball. Super Bowl and softball's beginning. I mean, I don't even count the Super Bowl. I just go straight to softball. It used to be as soon as the Super Bowl ended. Okay, we now know that it is softball week, and now softball opening weekend is on Super Bowl weekend. So it's just a packed house for everyone. <laughs> yep, I'm excited though. Oh, that was fun, right? Yeah, this was oh. a great show. Thank you to everybody <laughs> for tuning in. Uh, thank you to Tara for all of your hard work. Thank you to the just. Phenomenal Kelly Higby behind the scenes, running the show, checking our audio, making sure that we're alive and well here on the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition. Tara, anything you want to say before we go? 
No, I'm excited to be back. Happy fall, everybody. Hope you're going to go out and get some pumpkin spice lattes. Uh, it's about that time, I think. Uh, I'm excited to get into it and can't wait to bring you more content. If there's anything we can add or you'd like to hear or see, uh, you can please let us know. You can let me know on Twitter or you can email uh, info at uh, d1softball.com. Absolutely. And you can hit us up on all the social media platforms as well. For Tara Henry, I'm Gray Robertson. Thank you for joining us. I'm a D1 softball podcast presented by S2 Cognition. Enjoy fall ball. Softball season's not far. We'll see you next time, everybody.